Welcome to the 40 Under 40 podcast with your hosts, Caitlin Cromit and AJ McQuarrie. They are two entrepreneurs who speak to other entrepreneurs under the age of 40, so you can learn from their successes and failures along their journeys of building businesses. 40 Under 40 podcast hopes to educate, motivate, and inspire people to pursue their dreams of starting a business, regardless of age. And now, here are your hosts, Caitlin and AJ. Welcome back, folks. Welcome. Hey. (laughs) Nobody can see it, but you did the hand movement. Yeah, Um, we just went real big with that. Yeah, we really did. How are you doing, AJ? I'm great, you know. Uh, you know, I've been on the East Coast for a little while, and I, yes. I, I'm kind of sore. Actually, <laughs> I went rock climbing. I went on a date last week, rock climbing, and you know, I'm not that athletic, right? <laughs> Dude, so, that's like a I'm really good still. workout, though. Yeah, I can't. I yeah, like the forearm. It's a full body workout for sure. Yeah, you know, rock climbing is kind of like fascinating because there are so many different ways to get up to the top and different styles and different approaches. And I don't know, it's kind of like entrepreneurship. Like there's no one clear path, right? Yeah, that's actually so true. I mean, really stellar analogy. And imagine like actually climbing a rock, like a mountain. That would be- Well, I mean, maybe we could ask our next guest about that, Caitlin. Oh, snap. Wait, perfect. I am so excited about Sarah Safari. Doctor. Sarah Safari, AJ, please. <laughs> Doctor and um, folks, she, our, our next guest, she is an amazing woman. She is actually the first Iranian woman to ever summit Mount Everest. She climbed to the top. Yeah, and all and all seven peaks, right? Yeah, like she has ton, an like, incredible story. Incredible! I can't wait to learn more about it. Let's bring her on. Yeah, let's bring her on. And yes, yeah, she's a speaker. She's a coach. Um, she does uh, speaking, coaching. She wrote a book. She's also a professor. Let's let's just bring her on. Welcome, Sarah. So just to start, let's do kind of a brief overview of who you are, what your business is. Just kind of give us the basic, um, you know, high level version of that. I'm Dr. Dr. Sarah Safari. I I'm a mountain climber, speaker, author, and uh, advocate for women empowerment. I just founded my own nonprofit only a few months ago. And I hoping that through my speaking engagements, also my personal business and consulting, I get to empower more and more women around the world. Amazing. Well, I know I have so many questions, but that's all that you do has been so inspiring. And I think the very first thing, I mean, what has kind of been all over social media lately is that you just summited Everest. So we'd love to hear about how mm. that journey started and what got you into that. And and then we can kind of go into more detail. So this was part of Seven Summit Project. Originally, nine years ago, uh, I started mountain climbing just so randomly. My background is electrical engineering. And I was just working as a normal engineer, like a nine to five job. Uh, My plan was just go climb Mount Everest and come back home and still be an engineer, do a nine to five job. I never wanted to do any of the rest of the things I did uh, until uh, when I tried to climb Mount Everest the first time uh, in 2015, I was stuck in a 7.8 earthquake at 20,000 feet on Mount Everest. Oh I was, wow. And, uh, 
I know. I was on a ladder. The whole ladder was shaking. There were avalanches. It was pretty scary. And somehow, I don't know how, I survived that uh, earthquake and avalanche. And we got rescued with a helicopter. I came down. I was extremely traumatized. I just couldn't do anything. I was crying every day. The reason I was climbing Everest the first time was I promised this nonprofit organization that I raised one dollar per foot of Everest for them. So Everest is twenty nine thousand feet. I promised to raise twenty nine thousand dollars to wow. help girls who become victims of human trafficking or forced to get married at a very young age. So I raised $29,000, but then when the earthquake happened and the whole world realized we just almost died and didn't die, I could raise a lot more money because it brought so much more awareness to the cause rather than just summiting Everest. This was way better than summiting Everest in terms of raising funds for the girls. The devastating and the sad part was that so many people died on that day and so many people lost their homes and they got injured. But then now after seven years, they are all recovered and they're all good. So basically after the earthquake, I just thought the reason I survived this earthquake and the reason I'm alive and in one piece is just because of the good thing that I was doing. And so I decided to dedicate my life to this. And it was not just that. Plus, I grew up in Iran. I experienced firsthand the oppressive, restrictive environment that makes gender discrimination possible. So it was very personal for me uh, trying to help these girls. And uh, so I, I thought, you know what, I cannot quit like this. I cannot be traumatized. I should somehow figure this out. And um, so I started writing. I wrote and I wrote all the pain out, all the trauma, all the fear, like all the bad moments from my childhood up to the moment of the earthquake and the things that I saw and the lives of Nepali girls and the lives of Iranian women that I saw in Iran like it was just such a so much pain that I had to write about and then it became a book and I published a book the funny nice nice my whole life I never wanted to publish a book I I don't consider <laughs> myself uh, I, I didn't even think about it uh, all my life and um when I had the book um I just thought um, maybe I should go back and climb Everest again. You know, I should um, do something about this. So I said, you know what? I don't want to teach the girls quitting. I don't want to teach them give up. Like life happens, bad things happen in your life and go quit and don't do anything about it. I wanted to. Yeah, it was just the whole lesson. I said, I thought I want to teach them get up and do something about it. And um, I said, you know what? I'm going to go back and climb Everest and not just Everest. I'm going to add six more mountains to it. The seven summits, the seven highest peaks on seven continents and not just the Nepali girls. This time I'm going to add six other nonprofit organizations to the list. So seven nonprofit organizations that are empowering women globally and each one of the mountains are for one of these nonprofit organizations. And depending on the elevation of the mountain, I'm going to raise $1 per foot of any of these mountains. Wow. And that's, that's awesome. how it started, really. 
And at this point, <laughs> you were tired. an engineer. You were working like a nine to five job. I had, uh, so at this point, I started teaching. And I was teaching in two different universities. And it was like a hectic schedule because I have to train twice a day. I had to go to the gym at 5 a.m. and 10 p.m. And then in the middle, I'm going from this class to the other class and trying to do fundraising because I just promised seven different organizations that I'm fundraising for them. So like trying to figure all that out, uh, I couldn't do the nine to five job. I needed a more flexible schedule. And yeah. shifting from nine to five to not nine to five was the scariest thing ever. And that was the first step that I had to kind of take over that, uh, overcome that fear of this is not a stable. There's nothing is certain. I'm working so hard for every penny. It's just, it, it really directly depends on the amount of work that I'm doing. And it was a scary, but exciting. I felt like I'm so alive working 5 a.m. to 12 a.m. figuring this whole big project. And imagine, but zero experience in mountain climbing. I don't know anybody in my family or extended family who have ever hiked anything or even, <laughs> I don't, nobody goes to the gym in my family. <laughs> You're like the first on so many levels. <laughs> They're like, what the hell? <laughs> I didn't know how to do fundraising. I, there, there is no one in my family who have their own business. Everybody is a nine to five person. So I had to learn everything everything from just from people around me and ask around and read books and listen to podcasts wow it was a scary it was a scary but I was excited to do it that's great yeah so walk us through that moment then of you being this nine to fiver to like when did it click and when were you like oh my god this can be my mission in life this can be my business mm-hmm. um there was not one specific moment there were a lot of moments because it was a lot of decisions that I had to make to switch from um, electrical engineering to this thing that I even didn't know what it is exactly I just had to figure it out it was like a canvas and I could paint it any way that I wanted to and the freedom is scary the freedom that you can paint it any way you want to was I just had to stay grounded the whole time, like really know myself, first of all, and know what I want in the future, which is, that's the big question. Do you know yourself? Do you know what you really want in life? If you could answer those two questions, you can paint that canvas and you can create it. But those two first questions was the biggest questions of my life. Mm -hmm. So I would say uh, when TEDx Paris invited me to give a 16 minute TEDx talk um, and I delivered that talk in Paris in front of 800 people and they actually sat throughout the whole 16 minutes and listened to me. And then I saw the video later and then a few months after um, a company called me and they said, we pay you $5,000 to come give us the same speech. I was shocked. I was like, You're like, I what? Like, <laughs> I can huh? make money. I would do it for free for you. You know, you really want to pay me for this? I mean, I <laughs> don't tell them that. <laughs> wow. So wait, real quick, let's back up. How did how did this TED talk come to fruition? And 
I get, yeah, I guess talk about that for a second. What was that experience like? And what did that do for your business? Yeah. Um, first of all, I, it was my dream to do a TEDx talk, but I never knew what to talk about in a TEDx talk. I didn't have anything worthy of saying in a TEDx talk until the earthquake happened. Um, where I was on the mountain, the way I survived and everything that happened afterwards, I thought I really want to share this with the rest of the world. And it was so exciting for me. So um, I was a member of Toastmasters for 10 years and uh, they just did an article on me when I decided to climb Everest. I, I even I was not even on the mountain yet and they did an article for me uh, the article was the first distinguished Toastmaster. So after you go through certain uh, stages in Toastmasters, you become a distinguished Toastmaster. So I was there. And, and then they said the first distinguished Toastmaster was climbing Everest, something like that. And there was an article and I was on the cover of Toastmasters magazine. And wow. TEDx club in Paris um, or TEDx, um, organization that they decided to do the TEDx talk. I think it was the university actually in Paris. Um, they saw my article in Toastmasters magazine because one of the organizers was a Toastmaster member. And okay. then they saw the article, they read the article and they invited me and I was so excited. I practiced one whole year. Wow. The delivery, every single word on my speech, I thought about like 10 times. I changed it 10 times. Oh my goodness. Down. Yeah, yeah. So it was a great experience. It was a scary, uh, you know, nerve wracking, I would say. Um, but not worse than uh, that getting a stock on an avalanche in an earthquake. on. Yeah. So, You're like, so- after that, I can do anything, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> And then, so that ultimately fueled your speaking business, right? And now you're you're making money as a speaker, as an author. Can you kind of talk about your business model and explain how you make money as an entrepreneur? Um, originally, when I started, I didn't have a business model. And I didn't know even I need to have a business model. I just thought I'll go with the flow because I have my teaching job. I'm making money from my teaching job. And whenever the speaking happens, I'll just go speak somewhere, wherever they invite me. And I don't have to even have a model, you know, um, until I <laughs> NSA, you know, National Speaker Association, Los Angeles chapter. And uh, that was kind of that's the very first time that I figured this out. I can look at the speaking as a whole business. And uh, it's funny because as soon as I joined, a uh, pandemic happened. And then I had, we had to stay at home and I had to pivot the whole business and do everything online, mm-hmm. which kind of gave me more freedom to, to like do this for the rest of the world, not just the places that I can travel and I was not limited with time and energy and all that. So mm-hmm. that was great. You could scale. Exactly. And um, so I would say then I started this expanding the speaking into consulting, into coaching, into seeing clients one-to-one, into groups, into developing workshops. And it just kind of started blooming. And it was such a, it's, it is still such a great learning experience, I think. 
um, having the beginner mindset, not settling is very important in our business. Because as we are growing ourselves as a person, as you're learning new tools and techniques, um, I would say the best business model is for the for the main person to have a beginner mindset and be able to grow every day, being open and adapt to changes because like so many things happen every day, so many new topics, so many new trends and just being able to, to kind of dance with it and be flexible. I think mm. it's part of it. It's a big part of it. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. And, and I'm still learning. It's I think the learning curve hasn't kind of damped. It's still going straight up and I'm just trying to figure this out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I feel like it's just a constant learning process. So how do you feel like in your typical day-to-day, I know a lot of entrepreneurs, like our day-to-day is completely different every day, but how would you say you kind of structure your time and your energy? Like how much energy do you put into marketing yourself versus actual content creation or different things like that? Like, where's that balance for you in your in your business? Um, I have my PhD in leadership and leadership is the main topic that I talk about uh, when I go to different companies, different conferences, uh, organizations. And um, since it's fresh, because I graduated in 2020, everything is so fresh. I have all my materials around me and I always use them to develop uh, new ideas, develop new speeches, you know, uh, new workshops and all that. And uh, the good part is the, the, the classes, the courses that I'm teaching at university, the leadership courses and my personal clients plus for my nonprofit, we are doing women's empowerment. So we talk a lot about leadership skills. So basically, my speeches, my clients, my, my courses at university, and uh, the consulting business, all and the nonprofit, all of it is kind of the same thing, but different audience. Mm. And develop one material. There are four, it goes to four different locations. And it's kind of the same stories and the same, you know, I'm, I'm the same person. I'm just, you're not reinventing the wheel much. Exactly. Exactly. And it's kind of, it, it's very time-saving being able to deliver the same topic for four different types of audience. I mean, I have yeah. to tweak it a little bit depending on what they're dealing with, but um, it's kind of, it saves a lot of time and energy. Sure. Yeah. And where would you say you get real quick, like, how do you target clients? Is it online marketing? Is it word of mouth? Would you say, is it through your nonprofit or I guess what's your biggest channel for that? I would say the most, um, uh, most of the time people find me somehow. I'm very big on social media. I'll try to share all my activities on social media, mainly Instagram. I, even though Instagram is not the place for uh, this sort of a job, I would say LinkedIn is a way better place. But it happened that I was uh, more active on Instagram because it was just easier for me to post and do things. And I think most of the people found me through my posts and social media and stuff. And I use some speaking bureaus uh, to kind of have my profile, my speaking profile and the work that I've done so I think the combination between the speaking bureaus and my uh, bureaus and my social media that's how people found me and then so I had a whole database of 
um, past clients that I could always reach out for new programs, new workshop and everything. And, and the database is uh, every day, it's increasing, growing and growing. So it's kind of, that's, that's one part of it. The other part is, um, since my background is engineering, I have a big community of friends who are engineers who work on big companies here in California or around the world. And I reach out to my friends to make an introduction for me um, to their company. And my friends have been so kind and generous introducing me to their companies to do speeches, to do workshops, to do different programs. And that's been a big part of it as well. Mm. Okay. Okay. So say a listener out there is like, wow, I want to be a speaker and an author, but they didn't climb Everest. What is your advice to somebody like that? Like just wanting to get started? Um, I would say people can tell when someone broke the barriers and they are doing something special. They can tell the difference between a person who is just giving a speech or they lived what they are preaching. Right. And, and I would say, go to your limits. You don't have to climb Everest. Climb your internal Everest. Do something mm. so oh, difficult. I like that. Yeah. Do something that is so difficult that people can feel and hear you. They can sense that you just broke yourself. You built a brand new person. And this new one is giving this a speech. It's not just every person that you can see anywhere, you know? So I would mm-hmm. say whatever Everest you have, whatever big dream you have, big challenge you have, big fear you have, go attack it face first, you know? It just kind of that way you grow as a person and people right. can smell growth and they want you to be a part of, um their events and come they want invite you to come to their company they want your Mm -hmm. being to be a part of those programs so it's just i say go find your everest and climb it i love Mm. it i got the chills i know (laughs) what a great message and we all have an Everest of some sort. Okay, mm-hmm. I have so many more questions about this, but we'll, we'll be talking about it all day. I would love to ask you more about rewinding back to your time in Iran. You grew up mm-hmm. there, correct? Mm-hmm. So you talked about a very restrictive and oppressive environment. Um, how did you go from growing up in Iran to becoming a engineer with a PhD and a speaker and an author? Did it take you leaving? Like, Just talk to us a little bit about that. Um, so I was, uh, living in a very strict environment in Iran. Yes, I, I started studying engineering back in Iran, but I knew if I finished my studying, I would never, ever find a job. I would just get a degree, a nice degree posted on the wall or something and would never find an electrical engineering job. I would just stay at home or maybe even if I wanted to. I, I could maybe continue my education and get master's, but I would say never find a real job. And so my dream, my whole life was to kind of just get an engineering job. And uh, when we moved to United States, I, when I was 20 uh, and we moved to the United States, um, my dream was to just get an engineering job. Mm. 
that, that was it. That was my biggest dream. Because I, I was 100% sure growing up, that's not possible. And then when I actually got a job, I realized the first 20 years of my life, that was my dream. And I already reached my dream the first two years in the United States. And how's this? I mean, I'm like, I, I don't have any other dream. Like, what should I do? Mm. Like, I need to expand. I need to grow. Like, I already reached to the top of the mountain that I wanted to climb. And, and so I started working on myself. I started going to so many seminars and classes and reading books, trying to figure out this me, this person, and trying to expand and grow. Because I thought that, that I, I, I can die right now because I already reached my dream. And right. it was funny because one of my professors at UCLA, he told me, you're so shy. You cannot make an eye contact when you're presenting. You're always looking down or you're looking at the ceiling. And he's like, uh, do, do, go, go do something about it. You know, he didn't know what he didn't tell, give me an idea. He just go do something about it. And uh, and then that's how it all started. I joined Toastmasters and I kind of mm. read books and did seminars and I figured oh, wow, there's so much more in the whole world. And I had no idea. And Wow. Uh, yeah. I love that. Yeah. 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 Do you feel like this, it seems like you have such a mindset, like you always have of like continuous improvement or like reaching your dreams. Do you feel like that was because of how your family raised you? Or was it because you wanted to break out of kind of the, the culture that you were growing up in? I guess I am a curious person I'm, and I'm not as scared of challenging myself and I'm not as scared of failing. And that's how I was growing up. I would, um, I just wanted to challenge. If my mom said, don't cross the freeway, you're six years old, I would definitely go and cross the freeway <laughs> because <laughs> don't do it, you know? Okay, so yeah. I would say I want it the challenge. I would climb the trees when people, my, my dad is like, don't climb the trees. You're a girl. I would like, okay, I make sure I climb all the trees. Here. Yeah. <laughs> to the so very you always, top. You always <laughs> wanted to like break these barriers that yeah. people try to put in front of you. I just hated that. They keep telling me you're not supposed to do this. I'm like, what? why? You know, and watch I, me. <laughs> exactly. Watch me. <laughs> and, and I guess, uh, it was very frustrating growing up because people like tried to control me, save me and keep me alive. Actually, I'm very thankful to my parents for keeping me alive. And I'm thinking it would be so difficult to have a kid like me, you know, it just, you were wild. Um, testing all the boundaries of life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, uh, I guess somehow they kept me alive and, um, I'm very thankful to them for doing that, even though in my book, I complain about my parents, but in real life, I'm very thankful. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Uh, how has uh, your engineering mind, uh, I'm assuming you're very logical and analytical, how has that helped you become a better entrepreneur? Mm -hmm. um, I say engineering is all about solving problems finding solutions, solving problems, finding solutions constantly. And I think as an entrepreneur, the whole journey is about, because every day something new happens that you didn't even know about and didn't even think about, and you need to find solutions. 
So I would say my engineering mind helped me so much, not just in entrepreneurship, even in mountain climbing. It's everything is so unpredictable, same as entrepreneurship. I would say my journey of climbing and my journey of entrepreneurship is so parallel. And they kind of, they help each other so much. They help me grow as a person. And my background of engineering was the foundation of me, uh, foundation of it for me to be able to kind of keep not giving up, keep finding solutions for all the problems that yeah. were happening. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like it's really a good backbone mm-hmm. for the whole business and for being yeah. an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. So what do you feel like, you know, since even starting out in this entrepreneurial journey, have you had any regrets or I guess, failures that like you've had to overcome because there's, you know, obviously it's hard to start a business to sustain yourself. We run into a lot of challenges and failures and I think figuring out how to overcome those and get past it and keep going is really critical. Uh, Like that resilience factor, grit, if you will. Um, So how do you develop that within yourself or, and how have you overcome your personal regrets or failures? Um, I would say if I could go back in time, I would get a mentor much, much, much earlier in life. I was not aware of the, like nobody told me, nobody nobody around me had a mentor, so they didn't know. But uh, um, I would say, yes, it is a very challenging journey. It's kind of, it's hard to keep motivated and sustain it. And same as mountain climbing, I would say. Uh, but but um, I would say if I could go back in time, the regret that I have, if I could go back in time, I would hire a mentor much, much, much earlier in so many different areas of my life. Um, like, you know, the first mentor that I had was for training, like physically training for Everest. But um, I think one of the best things that I've done for myself and I have to to keep doing over and over for myself is finding people who have done the things that I want to do mm-hmm. and get their advice just, just listen to them yeah and that's what I recommend to everybody else just have mentors not just one not just two have as many as possible and keep updating them because you're growing as a person and so you want to you want a mentor that is for, for the next level yeah so, have mentors, keep updating them, be open to change um, and be resilient because this life is changing so much and we need Mm -hmm. to adapt and adjust to it so much. And so I would say that has been... Yeah, I bet your like experience climbing mountains is really transferable to the mindset of building Mm -hmm. a business because it's Mm -hmm. like a similar you know, track, yeah. right? <laughs> it's like on the mountains, there is no certainty. You know, the weather changes every two seconds. The route changes. People change. Mm-hmm. The, you know, attitude of people changes all the time because of elevation. All of a sudden, mm-hmm. with a brand new person. Same mm-hmm. as on the ground, you're working with employees and managers and leaders and everybody. They have a life and they have obstacles and their, their attitude changes the everything like the economy changes the weather changes on the mountain it's so much change and you need to be able to adjust constantly and keep being motivated and keep going every day and never give up and it's not about the summit because as soon as you get to the summit there's another higher summit that you can summit it's just (laughs) always going and always going you know 
Um, yeah, it's like really, really realizing it's about the journey and not the top of any mm-hmm. sort of mind. That's why it doesn't mean anything. It's just about the journey. I love that. I love it. It's too. so true. So inspirational. Okay. How do you balance being a professor and having this kind of secure day job with your entrepreneurial life? And I'm I'm thinking of myself here, like I always told myself, oh, if I get a job, I failed as an entrepreneur. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs think like that, but it seems like you used your job as like security and a stable base. So can you talk a little bit about that? Um. I would say because they overlap so much, the things that I do at university, I can directly um, use them in my business. And it's just the overlap that is helping me to have both at the same time. And uh, the being in the academia, uh, you just have to have the open mind. You're learning a lot from the younger generations. They are, you know, the new generations, they're just, I don't know, they, they're, they surprise me all the time and I'm just so proud of them and I'm so happy the future would be in their hands. So it's just having that open mind and learning from them helps me to be a better person in my business because in my business and the nonprofit, I'm dealing with younger generations. So teaching at the school is really a school for me to be a better person for my business and nonprofit. Yeah. I mean, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. It's not even like a separate entity altogether. It's kind of intertwined with exactly what your mission is as a human, really, as, as you move forward. So a question that we always like to ask our guests is uh, your opinion on whether entrepreneurs are born or bred. Do you think you were born an entrepreneur or have you developed this way over time? And is that possible? Um, I think it's a learning experience. You can learn to be an entrepreneur. Um, It's just certain skills are involved. And I would say, no, I was not born to be an entrepreneur. I was born, uh, I liked all, I always liked challenges, but um, if I never developed my skills, I could never be an entrepreneur. So I would say um, any person, can be an entrepreneur as long as they are willing they are courageous enough to risk courageous enough to be open to learn new skills even change themselves over and over mm-hmm. yeah like these certain qualities like the curiosity that you've always had was innate to you but it's really kind of informed your entrepreneurial yeah. self yeah and i yeah. would say as humans you're all curious so it's not something that I only have. Right. Yeah. Awesome. I like it. Okay. I have another question for you and uh, we're going to wrap up soon. We're almost at time. This has been amazing, but uh, I'm just curious, you, um, how do you balance being an advocate, you know, like your nonprofit life with entrepreneurship and making money? Uh, a practical part of it is a lot of time management and a lot of uh, thinking time. Just being able to kind of ground myself and think about what I really want from life. Um, I just mm-hmm. need to get to the space and be very clear, you know, because it's very easy to get lost in all of this and do something else, something that I didn't even want to do. So I would say having meditation time for myself, 
focus on the things that I really want, keep using my schedule, keep doing uh, using my time management techniques. These are the two things that are very important to be able to kind of practically take care of the nonprofit and the business and the teaching and all the things that I want to do, like training for the mountains and being away for such a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, it's combination of that plus, um, I guess I got lucky because my passion of helping people, my passion of empowering women and, and kind of growing, these are all my passion. And it happened that all my work is uh, very aligned with my passion. Yeah, that that's cool that everything, mm-hmm, that everything yeah. kind of melts. It flows. Yeah, exactly. I love it. That's the ideal. Yeah, Yeah, effortlessly. I love it. Well, Dr. Sara Safari, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Where can people find you? Um, For my nonprofit, climbyoureverest.org. For my personal website and my business, sarasafari.com. And I'm all over social media. Just search Sarah Safari and you'll find me. You're very popular on social media. I will she tell you is. that. <laughs> well, such an inspiration. I'm very grateful that you were able to come chat with us. So thanks for coming. Thank you, Sarah. <laughs> Thank you for Thank you. Oh, my goodness. All right. I got the chills like six times. <laughs> I know. You texted me about it in the background. <laughs> I'm over here too. like, I didn't know any of this. Like... The avalanche story. Wow. What a great opening. If y'all didn't stick around after that story, y'all have issues. Yeah. I don't know what's going to grab you. (laughs) Yeah. I love it. uh, I I don't know. All right, everybody. We're going to see you in a couple weeks. We have more episodes coming. Regina Lark is actually our next guest. And she is really, she's funny. I love Regina. Yeah, we got some good people in store for you. So stay tuned. All right. Bye. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of the 40 Under 40 podcast with Caitlin Cromit and AJ McQuarrie. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. We really appreciate that effort, and we'll catch you in the next episode.